One of my least favorite titles for this season of living that we find ourselves in is this. When people say these uncertain times, it drives me crazy, y'all. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why I don't like it. It continually reminds me of something that I feel when I watch the news. It reminds me of something that I feel when I'm asked when we're going to start opening up the building and gather together for worship here again. It reminds me of something that I feel even when I study the passages like we're going to be looking at today in Revelation. Because you see, these uncertain times continually confronts me with everything I don't know, right? I don't know what the truth is when I watch the news. You ever feel that way? I don't know when we'll reopen the building when it's safe for everyone. I don't know what some of our passages mean today, to be completely honest with you. And maybe this phrase has been bouncing around in your head too, this phrase, I don't know. Now, here's what I love about our church. Fellowship Asheville is a place where it is safe and where it is okay to say, I don't know. And so let me ask you, anybody saying I don't know to yourself lately? If so, then you're probably like me in some ways, because when you say I don't know, there's a struggle that comes along with that. And the struggle is this, when you don't have I don't know bouncing around in your head, the struggle is what do I do when I don't know, right? Oddly, one of my favorite videos making its way around is a spoof on these, this phrase, in these uncertain times. And it has the title, In These Certain Times. And it's by these two hilarious guys, Tripp and Tyler. Um, because of time and licensing laws, I can't show you the video, but uh, Google it, right? And you can find it. We'll even put the link for it in the notes of this. But if you Google Tripp and Tyler in these certain times, here's what you'll see. You'll see they've done something that's brilliant because they've taken the worst of how we respond when we don't know and exposed it by making light of it. Because you see, the worst thing that you can do when you don't know is to act like you do know, right? That's the absolute worst thing you can do. And the Bible actually has a word for this and it's called arrogant. That's what arrogant is. Arrogant is acting like you do know when you don't know. Arrogant means that you have this exaggerated sense of your own abilities. And man, we can respond with arrogance, can't we? Now, sometimes it can be light and humorous. Like my mother-in-law, now she's listening and I know she's listening, so I'm gonna be careful here. But my mother-in-law has something that she does uh, that's hilarious when she doesn't know and she's trying to, to prove a point. And she does the same thing every time when she doesn't know. So we all know when she does this, she doesn't really know what she's talking about. And it's this, she will make up some stat to prove her point. She will say, a certain number of people always say this, a certain number of people do this, a certain number of doctors do this, a certain, but here's the tell. It's always the same number. It's 87% of people say this, 87 out of 100 doctors do this. When she does this, we know she doesn't know. She knows she doesn't know, we laugh about it and it's great. But not everyone responds with humor when they don't know, All right? Some people respond, with arrogance, and this arrogance has this assurance and this certainty to it. It's the person who makes a post about something after reading half an article about it. Because let's be honest, we've all become infectious disease specialists now, haven't we? Right? We all know what a virus is, and we all know what, what the symptoms are. We all know everything there is to know about something that people with decades of experience are telling us they don't know. But we do. 
That's arrogance. Now, we've all responded this way, haven't we? All right, well, today we're going to see a much better way to respond when you don't know. We're going to see Jesus's way to respond when you don't know. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is a better way to respond. Now, we're going to cover a big chunk of scripture again today. We're going to, we're going to pick up in chapter 11, right in the middle where we left off. We're going to do chapter 11, verse 15, and, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 14. All right, and in this passage, we're going to see a lot that we don't know. Right? There's much that we do, but there's going to be some stuff that we just don't know. Now, this passage continues, of course, where we left off, where the seventh, we're going to see the seventh trumpet being blown. Now, to, to remind you, Jesus was given this scroll that had seven seals on it. He opened, he opened six of them, and there was this pause where, where John shared this vision with the readers, and then he opened the seventh seal. That seventh seal released seven judgments or trumpets that we saw last week. We saw six of them. And here we're going to see the seventh. And the seventh is really going to highlight, at least, at least for us as we read it, it's going to highlight what do we do when we don't know. Well, let's, let's dive in. Chapter 11, uh, verse 15. Actually, I'm going to back up and start with 14 because it just kind of introduces it. And verse 14 says this, The second woe has passed, and behold, the third woe is soon to come. And then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices from heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And so now if you remember, this last seal, it showed repentance, right? And people gave glory to God, and then and that was the sixth seal. And then the seventh seal, you see this heavenly throne room again, and you see them worshiping God for what, for what he has done. Last week, we saw God's, God's judgment lead to repentance. And here we get to see the response in heaven to that repentance. And it is worship. These long-awaited prayers were answered. And now there's, there's worship. But there's, but there's this little bit of information here that I want to highlight in verse 19. It says, And then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the Ark of the Covenant was seen within this temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavenly hail. Now here we see something that we haven't seen in a long time. You see, this physical temple in Jerusalem had the Ark of the Covenant. This ancient temple in Jerusalem had the Ark of the Covenant. And however long ago, it disappeared. And we don't know what happened to it. It was stolen, it was hidden, it was gone. Now, there are rumors, and yes, by the way, I'm talking about the temple that you're thinking of from Indiana Jones, that one, right? It disappeared. That's why Indiana Jones was looking for it. Nobody knows where it is, and there's rumors of it being here and rumors of it being there, but it's one of the things we don't know. We don't know where it is, but now we do know because we see it in this heavenly temple, and we see it there clearly displayed, but there's a, a striking difference between the location now in this heavenly temple and the location of where it was in the ancient Jewish temple, because there it was behind this curtain. 
in this ancient Jewish temple. And the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence. And it was separated from the worshipers by this curtain, this big, heavy curtain. And, and it was so separate that only the high priest could go in, and that once a year. And so, so it symbolically symbolized that God's presence was separated from humanity because of sin. And then Jesus came, and his death and crucifixion, that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. And, and here we see in this heavenly temple, it is visible for all to see. It is not hidden behind anything that the presence of God is clearly visible. Now, now here's why. Because through Jesus, God's presence is fully available to you and fully available to me. Jesus fixed that separation. Now, I don't know what this part has to do with the flow of our passage today, but I do know it's true nonetheless. And I think it's something that we need to remember when we don't know. And it's this, that when we don't know, we do know that God's presence is fully available. You see, that's the great thing about our God is he goes with us. And even when we don't know where we're going, he goes with us. He's before us, he's behind us, he is with us. Now, John is gonna step back from these judgments. And he's going to give us this heavenly history lesson, right? And there's a lot of stuff in here that you'll be like, what is John talking about? That's okay. It's okay to not know. What we're going to do is pull from it what we do know, right? So let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and, the, and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to, God, and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where, he, where she has a place prepared by God in which she was to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, if you remember from last week, there's that number again. We've seen it in different forms. We see it in 42 months, 1,260 days. We see it in three and a half years. I'll talk about it in just a minute. But what we see right here is in this passage, see what I mean? It's real easy to get lost, isn't it? You've got a woman with moons and suns and, 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 and stars. There's a lot that we don't know, but here's what we do know. John the person who wrote this letter, the person who received these visions and put pen to paper so, so that these letters could be passed around to seven literal, literal churches and, and so that we could read them. John wrote these letters to real people in an ancient world. And, and so to understand them, we really need to get in their shoes. And to them, this, I think, would sound like history. Because if you think about the woman pictured here as the nation of Israel with the 12 stars, that, that the 12 tribes of Israel... And from the 12 tribes of Israel was to come this Messiah. And this Messiah was to rule the nations. And, and so this woman is, this, is the nation of Israel with the 12, with the 12 stars. And, and her child is Jesus, the coming Messiah. And the red dragon is Satan, 
right? And if you read scripture, you see that Satan led other angels from heaven to, to, to follow him. And that's the stars that fell with him. And then you can see too, as you read through this, that, that Satan's goal is to stop the ministry of Jesus in every way that he can. Whether it's to stop Jesus being born or to stop his ministry spreading, he wants to stop. And then you see Jesus die, right? And he's taken up to God, which to, for Satan seems like a victory that he's won. But we know what happened is that Jesus was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. And verse 6 says that the women uh, fled into the wilderness, now here's the deal. If you're if you're if you're in this in in this time zone reading this letter, that would sound like you because you're connected to this nation of Israel because you follow this Jesus as a Messiah and as a savior, right? And 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 so this Jewish history and your history is very inter intermingled together. And so you would get to this point and you'd be like, "Wait, wait, 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 what? This is us." We're the ones scattered to the place that God has prepared for us. And so now if you're reading this, this letter that John has written, you're really drawn in because, because this phrase though about being nourished for 1260 days, that probably wouldn't make sense to you. You wouldn't know because you've been in one of these cities probably longer than three and a half years. And so you may not know what this means, but John does because he does this. And he shows us this heavenly part. So now you've got this history, right? With all these symbols. Well, now he's gonna, he's gonna kind of show you the heavenly part of this history. And he's gonna show you the spiritual side of what happened as all this history unfolds. And so now that you're drawn in to this history part, John wants to show you what else was going on. Look at, look at verse seven. It says, now war rose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, and the deceiver of the world, he was thrown down to the earth as his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down in, in, uh, to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's another way to say those three and a half years. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon uh, had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now there's a lot here, isn't there? 
And so here we see this great unveiling of the spiritual world. We see angels fighting demons, right? And we see Satan defeated and thrown out of heaven. But, but if you notice, Satan only has one weapon when he's thrown out of heaven, and that is accusation, right? He is the accuser, and he accuses God's people day and night. And so now John is going to take this and unfold it for us and show us what this accusation of war looks like. But, 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 but here's the deal that we need to hone in on. He's, he's letting us know that Satan is an accuser. And so why does God want us to know what's happening in the spiritual world along with what's happening in the physical world? And here's why. Because it's important to understand when you and I don't know, and it's this. When we don't know, we do know that we live in a spiritual world. I heard somebody once say, we are physical beings in a spiritual world, not the other way around. Right? You see, when you and I don't know, it's very easy to hear those accusations. And you got to think about John's time. These churches were being persecuted for their faith. And there was a lot that they didn't know. And it's real easy to hear accusations. And you fast forward that to our time. When there's a lot that we don't know. And it's real easy to hear accusations. Because here's what you hear. These accusations will say, you don't know. And then it's followed by a lie. And the lie is, everybody else knows. And then there's another lie that comes with that. And the other lie is everyone else knows. So something must be wrong with you if you don't know. Well, let's do a quick experiment and let's just expose Satan as the liar and the accuser that he is. Let's do a little experiment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me a like on the comments. You know, on the little button down below, hit like if you're facing something right now where your answer is, I don't know. Right? And so if you're facing something that your answer is, I don't know, I want you to hit like. And here's what I want us to see. At least I hope this works. I hope that there's a lot of likes floating up on the screen that you're watching on right now. Because if there is, here's what we just saw. When Satan accuses you, and says, you don't know, everyone else knows. We've just shown that he's a liar because there's a lot of likes coming up across the screen. A lot of people don't know. And if that's a lie, then the other lie is also a lie. That accusation that something is wrong with you if you don't know, that is a lie literally from the pit of hell. There is nothing wrong with you when you don't know. Nothing. But let's learn what to do Jesus's way when we don't know. Because first, we're going to see how, our how the accuser is going to turn the volume up and how he's going to wage war with accusations against those who follow God. Because what he's going to do is he's going to up his game. Not only is he going to use accusations, he's going to recruit others to do that. And John is going to shift from current history to future history. He's going to give us something to look forward to. Now, what's interesting about prophecy is that as I read this, I can point to times in history where this has already been true. And so if you will, imagine this. Imagine when John wrote this, it started a timeline. Now imagine spirals coming out from this timeline and those spirals get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and if you look through history, you can see glimpses of this being fulfilled, right? Of what we're about to read. But it's not ultimately fulfilled until the end. Like there's a time coming that fits this to a T. All the other times that kind of describe this are just little bitty loops on that spiral. And as it gets bigger and bigger, there is an ultimate time coming. Now then, what I want you to do is, is in your mind, 
take and, and start where that time frame started and draw a line right through the middle of those spirals. That is our response. Even though the spiral may get, get bigger and things might get, might get scarier, our response stays consistent. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna see what that response is. Look at, look at verse, uh, chapter 13, verse one, and let's see how Satan ups his game in this. It says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, y'all, this is the, probably the stuff that you've been waiting for us to get to Revelation 2, where we talk about beast and the other beast and those, those famous three numbers of 666, right? We're going to see all that today. Spoiler, I don't know, but let's keep reading. All right, it says, and I saw the beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and, a blas and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, and to it, the dragon gave power and his throne in great authority. And one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for he had given authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And so now this dragon's influence expands. And what he does is he gives power and authority. And notice he gives a throne to this beast. And this throne represents government. Anytime you see a throne, you see authority and you see rule and you see laws and you see the person who makes those laws. And so, so Satan will rise up a government to oppose those who follow God. Right, Because remember, he's an accuser and he's an accuser to those who have said yes to Jesus. And so he's going to up his game and he's going to rise up an entire government that is specifically against those who have said yes to Jesus. And he's going to accuse them through laws and through policies. Now, you might be asking, what government? People have looked at the beast and the leopard and all these images. The truth of the matter is, we don't know. Some things have already happened this way. There's, there's, there's um, um, proof in archaeology, and we've even seen it in the book of Daniel, where, where people are, are killed if they don't worship a ruler as God, right? That's what happened in Daniel with, with his friends. They didn't do that. And, and we have archaeological evidence of stuff that happened as these churches were going on, where, where, where people wanted to be worshipped as gods, and they were rulers of, of the government. And if you didn't worship them, you were thrown in jail or killed. And so who's this beast? We don't know. But what we do know is that for this dragon's influence to spread, he needs people. Y'all, here's the, here's the scary thing about Satan, too, is that, is that his work is through the hands of people. And this government is led by people. Now look at what else this government does in verse 5. It says, and the beast was given um, a mouth uttering, um, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. There's that three and a half years again. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe of people and language and nation, and all who dwelt on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the, in the book of the Lamb uh, who was slain. And so here we see the, that, that if you think about that spiral, this is the big spiral because it's not just one little pocket of the world that has to do this. The entire world is under this governmental rule. 
And so this, the, the, this time, this three and a half years, we've seen it in multiple ways, the 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years, the time, time, and half a time. What that means, it could mean a literal three and a half years that this rain will happen for three and a half years. It, it very well could. We, we don't know. What we do know is that God has an appointed time. He has a time for it to begin and a time for it to end. That all of this that's happening is still under God's control. There is not one moment where Satan is in control of this. The authority that's given to him is given to him by God. God is in control and it starts and it ends. Maya Angelou says that that every storm eventually runs out of rain. Well, God is in control of that storm and he is in control of that rain, that that rain. And so, so, so in the midst of these tribulations, it is comforting to know that God has an appointed time for it and for it to end. And for those three and a half years, this government will focus its attention on the church. Now, I'm sure it would be easy for us if this happens to us to think we don't know what to do. Right? But remember, Revelation was written so we know how to respond when the future happens. So Look at our response in verse 9. It says, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for endurance and faith of the saints. That's our response, is endurance. And, and that's what's kind of scary to this time. If, if prison is the, is the consequence for, for not worshiping this, this person, but instead continuing to worship God, then God says, go to prison. If death is the consequence, then God says, die. But what you don't do is you don't swerve, right? Because that's what endurance means. It means to not swerve. It means to, to, to not change your course. And that sounds good, Right? But let me ask you, how do you not swerve? How do you, how do you endure when you don't know? Let's keep going and we'll find out. Verse 11, because Satan's going to amp it up even more. Verse 11 says this, And then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. In other words, it looks like Jesus, but it doesn't talk like Jesus. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it it allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth and telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the the forehead so that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number of man for the for it is the number of a man, and his number is six six six. Now, here's what John is showing us in this vision that Satan doesn't need a government to pursue the church. 
He needs an entire false religion. And this false religion will look so good, right? There will be miracles and signs and wonders. And like I said, it sounds something like Jesus and looks something like Jesus. But it, 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 at the heart of it, it is the words of Satan himself. It is the words of the dragon. Now, remember, there's a lot that we don't know about this passage. Like, like we don't know what 666 is specifically referring to. Listen, I, I kind of did a deep dive into this just out of curiosity. Here are some of the people that have been labeled as the Antichrist, as the person that, that represents this false religion, 666. It could be the Pope or it could be Martin Luther, depending on what side of the Reformation you, you found yourself on, Right. Really easy to point fingers. I even saw Ronald Reagan was considered a fulfillment of this because his first, middle, and last name all have six letters in them. So obviously, he's the embodiment of this. Y'all, this is so true. Barney, the purple dinosaur, somebody said he fits this description. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they said fit this description. Y'all, all of that goes to show we don't know who this is, but what we do know is what this person will do, that their religion will be tied to the economy and their religion will be based on not worshiping Jesus. You won't be able to worship Jesus under this religion. And this religion will be tied to the economy of this government, that to, to be able to participate in the economy of this government, you will have to worship the leader of this government. Through this religion, well, remember, we're looking for our response. What is our response? Well, let's keep going. Verse four, in chapter 14, it says this. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. And I heard a voice in heaven like a, like a roar of, of mighty waters and like the sound of, of loud thunder, and the voice I heard was like that of the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders that no one could learn except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who had not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and they have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits of God by the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. You see, wherever this, this mark of religion is, there are those who follow Jesus and don't take it. And that's what this 144,000 captures. It's, 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 it's those people who, who didn't worship the leader of this government and this religion. They said no. And even if that meant not participating in the economy and finding another way around it or trusting that God would provide for them, they said no. Are these 144,000 without sin? I don't think that's what implies here. I think they still need the gospel. But I think it's just the purity of their worship wasn't to a false religion. They stayed pure. And they didn't yield to the government led by Satan. They worshiped Jesus, just like Daniel and his friends did. They didn't bow down to a false god. And here's what else I know. This evil empire and its false religion will fall because there is a set time for it. Look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth in every nation and tribe and language and people, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. 
because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image who receive this mark in its name. And so Babylon falls, and so does this religion. Now then, if you're reading this, and you're in, in, in John's shoes as he's writing this, or you're in the, in, the, in the church that these letters were originally passed around to, and you're suffering persecution because of your faith in Jesus, when you get to this part of the letter, you know how it makes you feel? It makes you feel like this, right? Thank you, Steve Harvey, because, because what we see is, is, is this is how Revelation is designed to make you feel that evil has a finish line, right? One day it'll all fall. And knowing that, what does it enable you to do is verse 12, because it says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God in their faith in Jesus. And so what is our response? Our response is to endure. We don't swerve because we know the end, right? We know how this ends. Now, now, when we don't know today, we can endure because we know the end tomorrow, right? We know how this ends. And I think it's funny, actually, that the word endure has the word end in it, right? And so basically, it's like this, this little gift in the English language that, that shows us that we can endure when we know the end, right? We can endure when we know the end. And so what do you do when you don't know? You endure. You don't swerve. You see, when we don't know, we endure because we know the end. And this eternal gospel that this angel proclaimed as, as it was flying around is the gospel of Jesus and his ultimate victory and its impact is eternal, Right? And it reaches up to the heavens in this heavenly courtroom, but its impact is also deep down in your soul and it's personal. And so for you, if you haven't said yes to this Jesus and yes to this eternal gospel, yes to the one who controls the beginning and the end and who has orchestrated it and authored it all, then maybe today is the day you can say yes to him and lay down your way of life and instead pick up his way and become his follower today, especially since you know how this ends. Now, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, what's your application here? Guess what? I don't know. I don't know what your application is, but here's what I know. I bet you know what your application is. Because see, I don't know where you need to endure. I don't know where you're tempted to swerve, but I do know this. If you keep feeling this feeling of you don't know, like that's most likely where you're gonna be tempted to swerve. That's most likely where the accuser is gonna speak lies to you about where you don't know. And so let me ask you this, where do you keep hearing, I don't know? Is it in your work? Is it at home? Maybe in your parenting? Is it, is it in your marriage? Is it, is it dating relationships? Is it friendships? Is it in the midst of your singleness? 
Is it, is it as you care for parents and as you care for those that you care for? You see, in all of these, it's easy to get caught up in what you don't know. But what if we did this, church? What if, what if we do what Jesus has shown us here? What if we let what we do know lead us through what we don't know? You know what happens when we do that? We endure. We endure. So church, let me pray for us to endure well in the midst of all of this stuff that we don't know. In the midst of, as much as I hate to say it, these uncertain times. Let's endure. Jesus, give us the strength and the wisdom to not swerve and to follow you faithfully. Give us the, the, the clear steps that we need to take when we don't know. Show yourself to be faithful and true to all of us because you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.